black ball. Black 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 ball. Cracks in the pavement I rose, a lion among sheep. I am the one, the front lead, and only will there ever be one me. Try on my crown, but you'll never become king. Let me reiterate, you imitate, I innovate. Separating the term dick rider from the word inspire, I am the greatest. The chain's material, the title's a statement. A stone my name is engraved in, welcome to my home. You're a guest in this house. For too long have I let you just lounge on this sectional couch, it's like I've adopted you. You've adopted everyone's style, so since you're my child, I'ma rinse out your mouth with bars. I'm coming and swinging. Sonny, listen, I'm about to bury you. <laughs> king of the dot champ versus the king of the dot tramp. I'ma trample through. You begged for this, now I'm begging you. Demand you demanded. This man will dismantle you. Yeah, they chant for you. Yeah, they chant for you. But if there were no chance, there'd be no chance for you. Helicopter, propeller choppers, the fans carry you. I'm not comparing you to animals when I say this cat's unbearable. He's boring, mechanical. Like a mythological horse dragging you. Ride so many bandwagons just to be a horse dragging you. I can't stand this dude. Fucking manhandle you. Shove a pair of antlers through his cap like Cam Caribou. I reference a, yo. We got some beef here because we're gonna make sloppy joes. Oh, that'll be good. This is my shit. Your motherfucking highness, I am everything you've ever wanted to be. I'm the star you strive to align with. I am the man. Wait, I am the man on the top of that mountain you struggle to climb that didn't even try. You think it's a lie, then why am I a bigger name than you when you've done so much more than I did? Open your eyes, kid! I'm just a more superior human besides this. He knows it too, and it eats him alive because my perfections reflect the weakness inside him. What is up, everybody? My name is James D. Fiore, and this is Blackballed. And that was Pat Stay. And I, I kicked off the show with a, a clip from um, one of Pat Stay's battles because he tragically passed away a couple of days ago. And uh, I just kind of wanted to show my respect. Um, our guest today has a connection with him, but um, he's also what I would consider to be uh, a living legend in Canadian hip hop. He strikes me as a guy who's kind of humble, too, so I don't know how much he uh, he appreciates that kind of accolades. Uh, but his name is Classified, and Classified, welcome to the show, man. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. Um, look, like I, I told you before the show that I wanted to start off with sort of like a, a, a small little tribute to uh, Pat's day. I know he was a friend of yours. Um what kind of hold does that leave uh, in, in not just your heart, but in, in, in the battle scene in general? Uh, I don't even know yet, man. It's, it's almost, it's too quick for me. I don't, I mean, I was pretty close with Pat. I talked to Pat on Saturday. I talked to Pat on Friday, on Friday. So I'm not thinking about the whole left in the battle scene or any of that yet. I'm still trying to just even take it like, Oh, try to understand what happened. You know what I mean? Still yeah. trying to still hit me. So it's, it's hard for me to talk about that. Yeah. I, I respect that. I just, um, you know, I don't want to dwell on it or nothing like that. I, I know, I know, you know, um, it, it, no, it, I appreciate you playing the clip at the front too. You know what I mean? Cause it, 
Pat did a lot. And, I, you know, the one thing that's coming out of this that you see is all the people that appreciate what he did and the people that he touched. And it's crazy to see that the last few days. That's something to be proud of. So, I, you know what I mean? You you honored him at the first of that. I love that. So that's dope. Yeah, no worries, man. He was the kind of guy that, like, I, I mean, I met him once. He, we didn't know each other. Um, I met him at a battle that I did in King of the Dot. I only did one, and I won, and then I retired so I could tell everyone I was undefeated in King of the Dot. Nice, <laughs> nice. Um, but, you know, like, he, I, 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 I didn't really, coming from him, he gave me a props on a line or two, and I was just, dude, like, he was, he was like, if The Rock had, like, skills, like, you know, like, like mm. R.A. the Rugged Man, and then the comedic um, delivery of like a Jeffrey Ross. <laughs> you know what I mean, yeah, like, yeah. he no, managed 100%. that that charisma that the dude had was so infectious. Um, so um, rest in peace, Pat Stay. Um, you know, I, I'm the, the circumstances are just too horrendous. I don't even want to talk about that because I don't want to. I don't want to damper this podcast. But look, dude, I'm I'm really happy that you're here though because um, good to be here, man. I, yeah, man, like like the people that know this show know that I get a little bit giddy when I have rappers on because I have been a hip hop addict for my entire life. I'm 46 years old. Uh, you know, I grew up just outside of Toronto. You know, my first show was Public Enemy. Uh, you know, my you know, my the first rap song I ever heard was Lottie Dottie. And I, it was like 1986. And I, and I, I've, I've always said the same thing. I felt like I discovered plutonium, <laughs> like just white kid living in a suburb in Toronto and Whitby. And, and I didn't know what hip hop was. I was 10. Right. And I was just like, I was I, the same thing, man. I was like 12, but the same thing, small town. Yeah. Tell me, me like, what is this? You know, yeah, I, mean? I, I, I don't remember what, I don't remember what song it is, but you have a video that came out. I'm sorry. I don't remember the name, but um, okay. where you kind of, you do like a, it looked like you took a drone shot of the neighborhood that you grew up in. And at the yeah, end, yeah. you're like, this is my best friend's house. This is the guy that played me my first rap track. This is where I played hockey. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about, cause I feel like a lot of us. And when I say us, I mean that people that really embraced hip hop, have a similar kind of story because we all we live in Canada, you know, like we're, we're, you know, and we're living in suburbs and stuff like that. What was it like when you discovered hip hop and, and what did it do to you uh, as a person? Um, Like you said, man, like grew up in small town, you know, Nova Scotia, whatever it is. Everyone played ground hockey, you know, life was slow, stuff like that. And my dad was always in band. So we always had music around. My dad was always playing music. His band used to practice in the ba in the uh, basement of the house every Tuesday or whatever. And a friend of mine played Run DMC's Tricky when I was like 12 at the campground. We used to go camping every summer. And I don't know what it was, man. As soon as I heard that, I was just like, what is this? And, you know, it kind of went from there. It wasn't like 80, like whenever Tricky came out, I think it was like 86. I didn't hear it then. I heard it later on after it came out. Because mm. um, the next album I heard after that was like Cypress Hill, Naughty by Nature with like OPP and Ghetto Bastard and all that. So, but I, I don't know. I don't know what it is with, you know, I think it's just the unknown and, you know, not really knowing about that. Your parents never taught you about hip hop because our parents never had hip hop. So it was almost like this thing that we discovered and it was that kind of our little thing like, oh, like no one else in even my school was listening to hip hop. It was like me and four or five other people. It wasn't, you know, my school was like country and rock and, you know, top 40, whatever that was at the time. So yeah, kind of felt like for me and my few friends that listened to hip hop, it was like our own thing that we discovered. And, you know, we started taking pride in it. We started writing our own little rhymes and it kind of just went from that. 
Yeah, man. Like that. It's, it's funny how uh, there's so many parallels. Um, a friend of mine once described hip hop for white kids living in suburbs in Canada as the Prozac they really needed. <laughs> you know, could like, be. It, it was Just, positive. You know. Yeah, yeah. It was for me. Like, even though, like, as a kid, you first listen to it, and you know, you hear Snoop's first album, and he's talking about this and that, and smoking weed and bitches and this and that. But like for hip hop, and I wrote a song about it later on, like hip hop gave me confidence. Like it made me go like, oh, I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of where I am from. I have my flaws like Red Man. Red Man used to rap about how he was just shitty at everything. And that like that that woke something up in me. Like be proud of your flaws and embrace them. And, you know, like hip hop was what taught me that it was just, you know, it made me confident. Yeah. Uh, I had DJ Kenny Parker on and I asked him, I'm like, what would why was it so territorial at the beginning? You know, because he was talking about how when him and KRS were coming up, um, they they lived like they were the next door neighbors, basically, of DJ Cool Herc. And they were, you know, living beside him when he threw that yeah. famous party on August 11th. All right. And 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 I was like, well, I, you know, I, cause I think I joked with him or something like, um, you know, was uh, was the Bronx jealous of Brooklyn that they didn't have their own do the right thing that's <laughs> right? mm. like you know and yeah. and, I, and i was like why was it so territorial like you guys might as well have been in different planets and he had a really interesting response and he's like well the territorialness of hip-hop back then was more like a rep game because you were segmented by neighborhoods and crews and gangs sometimes and you mm. just didn't want to give an inch and i i don't yeah, know what yeah. it was like yeah i don't know what it was like in halifax uh, because in Toronto, we kind of adopted that weird territorialism, and it was to our detriment. No, you Halifax know? wasn't big enough. Like, when I first went to Halifax, I was, I was in Enfield, which is like a half hour out of the main city. Mm -hmm. When I first went in and I met Joe Run, who was like a legendary DJ out here. Everyone knows Joe Run in, like, the underground. He's helped a lot of artists. Um, he, he used to throw these Helltown shows. And they were downtown. It was like an all-ages venue. And everyone who rapped would be on these shows. So it would be like 10, 11 acts. Be people from the city, a couple people from outside of the city. Hip Club Groove, Buck 65, Stinkin' Rich, you know, all that. A uh, bunch of other acts you probably wouldn't have heard of, like Universal Soul. But I went in there, did one show, and I met, like, the whole scene. And it kind of felt like, oh, I just met everybody. And Joe was kind of spearheading all these mixtapes. He was producing the beats, hooking up shows. So it did kind of feel like a tight group because there was only like nine or ten different people doing it. So if you did it, you just all hung out on the weekends with these other guys from different towns. So yeah, it wasn't tutorial like around here. You were you were looking for someone that rapped too, just so you could yeah. kind of have yeah. that thing in common and be like, oh, you do this, I do this yeah. too. Let's go, let's go do it together. Yeah, I did, my favorite thing used to be. Um, uh, like sometimes I would go to like there were two schools in Whippy, Henry Street High School and Anderson, and uh, and then later on a Catholic school. But we, when uh, when I used to like skip school and go to Anderson, and I would see people in a cipher, I would just like bomb their. I would just find a way to like because I was short, right? and I would yeah, find yeah. a way to get in to be the next guy rapping because it was like it, it was like it was like a drug because no one was doing it. And and in Toronto, the suburbs in the early nineties, I mean, there were like skinheads walking around. And and if you wore a public enemy shirt in front of a skinhead, like I got bullied for wearing a yeah, uh, yeah. fear of a black planet shirt. And I was just like, I just like the fucking album, guys. Like I'm not saying I think whatever the political statement you think I'm making. Yeah, I'm not yeah. making I, I just like public enemy. Well, people you know? just didn't understand it. Like I got called wigger, everything else. You know what I mean? Like 
oh, you're trying to do this, you're trying to do that. It was like, no, I just love the music and I'm falling in love with the culture and learning more about this, the DJ side of it and, you know, all these other things that it was like, I didn't know it was all this. But once I started kind of going down that rabbit hole, you know, that was at like 14, 15. I just kept going. Then I met my DJ and he had Techniques turntables and I was like, this is the craziest shit ever. And, you know what I mean? Yeah. It kind of just kept growing to like, you know, doing our first little tour around the Maritimes. But yeah, man, I you just fell into it. Do you remember like the first time you heard a buddy of yours scratch really well and how the adrenaline that it might have given you? Like yeah, that, was Joe, that would have been Joe Run. That was the first yeah. show, May 12th, 1995. Wow, was the first show I ever did in Halifax because they had a big poster and I got one of the posters, took it back home. That's how I remember the date because I seen it forever after that. But it was Joe Run. He had the table set up, you know, nine different acts. They'd all come out do their thing. But Joe was on the tables breaking records back and forth, you know uh the heartbeat record uh you know all the classic old ones that everyone just used to freestyle over in the 90s and yeah that was my first time seeing it blew my mind man um that was the same year that would be 1995 so that's the same year that you put out time's up kid is that right yeah so i, I met joe run that year and he helped okay. produce that album with me he sold me a bunch of beats and uh, taught me how to use a sample the reason why I bring, yeah, dude, the MPC. Oh, I used to love watching my buddy. Did you know? Like, I, I want to talk about uh, I, so many things are going in my head right now. But now that I just thought of it, were you, you're, were you, were you familiar with S. Love, Sheldon Moore from the Pocket Dwellers? He very lightly. He, mm -hmm. I might be mixed up with him or someone else. I know him from Pocket Dwellers and all that, but I'm pretty sure he came down here and produced a couple tracks for a couple artists down here back in. Man, it might have been like 99, 2000, 2001. Do you know if he had a connection down here at all? I mean, the dude was like the hardest working producer I have yeah, ever met. Yeah, I feel met. like he was. S-Love. Yeah. S-Yeah, yeah. I know him from Pocket Dwellers, but he came down here and did a couple records with Papa Grand, who was an artist down here. I'm pretty sure it was the same guy. And I met him briefly back then just to like say what's up in the studio or whatever. But the beats were killing. I remember thinking, Jesus, this guy shit's next level, like. Yeah, man. He was uh, rest in peace, Sheldon. By the way, Sheldon passed away not too long ago uh, of I cancer. Heard that, yeah, yeah. Um, and cancer. my butt. I didn't know that. Yeah, I think I think it was pancreatic cancer. Um, and uh, I had COVID, so I couldn't go to the funeral. But my buddy Nigel from the Pocket Dwellers, when he uh, he called me uh, that night, and he's like, "Dude, he's like, there were so many young rappers there that were so sad. Like, I'm getting sad, like even thinking about it right now because." I mean, what Sheldon did, he, I mean, he did beat programming for big acts and stuff like that. He made beats for big acts and everything. But really, his specialty was sort of like um, tutoring and taking yeah, yeah, young rappers. In, in, yeah, man. Up and coming yeah. artists in the area under his wing. And so his funeral was like just dozens of these rappers that were just like, I can't believe that my mentor is gone. You know, like it's just That's it's crazy. the hole that yeah. people um that you know that that the, the gap that people leave when they leave us is 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 truly profound sometimes um okay so for, is, but yeah yeah sorry oh. um i was just uh i wanted to bring up time's up kid because your newest album retrospected i i feel like um and i don't want to be too assumptive here but i i feel like this album um probably born out of the pandemic um, probably, you know, in, in, in a way that, cause you, you had done acoustic stuff before, like in 2016, 2017, I've seen videos. I did my classified deep dive and nice. familiarized myself with a bunch of your content and a bunch of your songs. And 
dude, your catalog is so consistent and it's so amazing. Like your perseverance in this game is like no other, you know. And Thank and you. I, yeah, you. man. Like I, I I don't know if you uh I, I know you're humble. People that I've talked to that know you tell me that you're you're a humble guy, and that's probably part of the reason why your perseverance has worked out so well because you didn't get caught in that trap of being just a braggadocious rapper, right? Like you have you have things to uh, say. Still working, still trying to get better, still trying to find new shit to write about. You know what I mean? Find new things to keep me interested in because I still like mm. doing music if I'm interested in it. So always just trying remember, to push, find new ways. Do you, do you remember when we grew up and it felt like rappers were like athletes and it was like once they left their 30s, they just disappeared? And now it seems like things have changed a little? Yeah, just I think just even what Jay-Z said, hip-hop grew up. You know, we're not just rapping about being at the party and being the dopest on the mic and say hell. You know what I mean? Like, there's more. I think just now that there's more content, there's more mature content that, you know, I get people messaging me all the time. Like, man, I listen to music for 20 years and it's wicked that it started with what I was into in, in my 20s. But now I grew up and I have kids and I go through this and your music grew up with me and you're talking about having kids. And yeah. so I, I think just artists getting older now, being more comfortable to you know, step out of that box and be like, yeah, hip hop, we can write about anything. We can talk about getting older. It's not embarrassing to be old in hip hop anymore. Cause like That's you right. said, anyone over 30 in the old days, it was like this old guy, like, yeah. Come on. Oh, Mad skills is 31. Fuck him. Yeah. Yeah. He's done. That guy's <laughs> old. But that's what I mean. Like, but now the fans are 40, the fans are 50, the fans are 60 at sometimes mm. they hear a 35 year old MC. It's like, man, that guy's a new young, fresh guy on the scene right now. Like did, and, didn't Rick Ross blow up at like 36 and two chains and all them guys? Yeah. 36, yeah. 37. Like that's exactly. crazy. Um, even, I, I mean, even Eminem was considered kind of old when he blew up. Like, he was like, like 27, but yeah, like yeah. he was ready to retire, called a day and be like, I tried. I'm old yeah. now. I'm 27. That's right. Um, maybe he just wanted to retire because of that yellow tracksuit. Hmm. No. What yellow tracksuit? Did they have a yellow tracksuit back then? Yeah. The, the, I saw a clip. I think it was, uh, I can't remember what that uh, show's called on HBO where they profiled um, Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre and, and Eminem. Oh, uh, Defiant Ones. Defiant Ones. And, uh, and, and, and Dr. Dre's describing Eminem when he first met him. And he's like, he's wearing this bright yellow track suit head to toe. And I was like, oh, my God, who the fuck is Man, this Man, you should go watch on – it's either Netflix or Crave. There's something called the Detroit Underground Tapes. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah. And it has Eminem and his old shit before, like stuff you've never heard of before. Like, I think Dre and them just try to get rid of it. But do you know what I'm talking about? He had the high tap, top fade and he had a video out. And it was, it was footage I've That's, never seen at Eminem before. But I didn't see it either before that. That was around the same time. Do you remember when someone, I, I, was it Benzino that tried to like cancel him or whatever you want to call it with, uh, with that old rhyme that he had where he was saying some racially sensitive things? It was in that area. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah. Yeah. Maybe it was from the same thing, but yeah, I only saw this like a couple of years ago, but anyway, yeah, maybe it was the yellow suit. Yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> but he's another guy. Like, I mean, listen, like, like he's, he's oddly polarizing, especially for white rappers. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Maybe it's just something that I've noticed in my own world, but like the people who seem to like, there's always going to be the Lord Jamal's of the world and everything, but like the people that seem to diss Eminem today are the guys that I know that are white rappers. And I find that really interesting because I think it's like it's probably jealousy because if you look at the stuff that he did with Joyner Lucas, games, I, I can't even think of people dissing Eminem right now besides like the game. Yeah, didn't well, little uh, what's his name, little some little guy, little Yachty. Pete. No, mm -hmm. little Pete didn't he have a beep? 
a B for them. As soon as I see Lil, I just walk away. You know. Yeah, Lil Wayne. I think that might be my only, my only Lil. I still be still rocking. I was late to the party on Lil Wayne. I, I, I was. So was I. I never liked the whole bling bling, all that. I like it was cool, but. And then I someone one day was got, like, Carter three, you got to listen to Carter three. And I was like, okay. Could have been that. I don't know what it is. But then one day it hit me. I was like, oh my gosh, this guy's amazing. I've, I've been missing out for a long time. Um, I forgot to, to mention, but I thought it was really awesome that you said ground hockey. Cause that means you didn't have a paved street. Is that right? No, no. You stay, you still play on the pavement. Okay. But you called the ground hockey over there. Well, you either play ice hockey or ground hockey, right? Road what hockey. You call, you call it? Road hockey. Road hockey. Yeah. Yeah. Because okay. it's a road, right. you know? Yeah, that's also the ground. <laughs> uh, either or, either or. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> one, of the first, one of the first uh, events I threw uh, in the year 2000 when I started throwing events was uh, a Joel Plaskett event. So I'm gonna, just going to play a clip of a video here right now, and then we'll come back in a second. But um, here we go. Competition of fishing for it. I'm just living in a system conditions of poor. I've been lost in the rhythm and missed some form. Too many late nights hitting the liquor store. Too many bad decisions, half ass attempts. No sweat, no fear, no blood, no tears. I go hard and I ain't making them no excuse. I'm overdue. I don't do what I'm supposed to do. Cause if you think about it, man, we supposed to lose. It ain't all pitch perfect ocean views. No, I was a first class rookie. Taking out bullies in my all black hoodie. Man, a mystery. You know the history. Get it up again. Cause poof, I'm out of here. I read the rules before I broke them. Um, first of all, um, that is a dope video. I love it because it's just so casual and so like it's like communities like coming East together. Coast, like. that, that's about as Nova Scotia and East Coast yeah. party as you get right there. Totally. That was was that in there. the deuce hat? Was that Buck 65? In there, no, no, Buck 65 no. was. It just looked it, it, it kind of looked like him, but it but it was funny because the 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 editor was like, Oh shit, he went to Cheers Classified and Classified didn't cheers back. We gotta cut it right there. Did you notice that part? Oh yeah. That's my boy. Every time we play that clip, my boy's like, Why the fuck did you put that in? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, I liked how I was rapping, man. Don't worry about you. That's funny. Um but it's 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 dope to see someone who um uh, combines his roots with the passion that he discovered when he was 12 years old you know what i mean like i think it it, it shows a kind of realness and authenticity to you how fun was it not just to make the video but to make the entire retrospective album because a lot of these tracks were tracks that you had made years ago and you just you converted it into acoustic uh, it was all yeah, of them, yeah. was it yeah. yeah yeah all of them they're all like older songs from the catalog and this actually started but Everyone thinks it kind of started just because COVID. They're like, ah, oh, you probably got bored. And like, it's like, no, this, it That's actually started. Yeah. It started about six months before COVID. Uh, we started laying stuff down. It, it was like you said, I've been putting out like acoustic versions of certain songs. We'll do like a live video. We've been doing that for years and we've always been getting great feedback. And I ended up doing a couple shows like that. Like rather than having my DJ bass 12 o'clock in the morning, everyone going off. We did a couple theaters where it's just me, my drum machine, my guitar player, my keyboard player. We're sitting down. Everyone's sitting down. 
and it just really showcased the songwriting. Like I seen people in the crowds laughing, crying, reacting in ways I've never seen at my normal show. And I was like, man, I think if we just strip these songs down and put them out, people will take these songs a different way, which they have been. And now my whole next tour, that's what it is. It's an acoustic tour. Yeah. It's, you know, in theaters, very different from my last 15 tours across Canada, but it's fresh. Again, just trying to find ways to keep it fresh and exciting for myself that I'm not like, let me just go do the show. I don't want to do it. It's the same shit, but I got to get paid. Let me go do it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just trying to enjoy myself while I'm doing it. So it's it's been fun for me to do it that way, too. You can tell that you're enjoying yourself. I mean, the the um, like when Chaos came out with Heaven Only Knows, I, and and before that, when uh, Everlast put out Whitey Ford sings the blues, mm. I was caught in this like first of all with with Everlast. I was like, why is he singing and not rapping? It didn't make any sense to me. I was like, that threw rapping. me all off because I was a huge Host of Pain fan. So when yeah. that came out, I was like, yeah, yeah it took me a, a minute to catch up to that one too. Yeah, but I I used to call um because. You know, uh, we used to go to bush parties and all that. I mean, Nova Scotia is is basically a bush party, right? Like if you're going to describe, you know, lots lots of people got drunk in forests, I believe, in Nova Scotia. I did Um, on Saturday night or last Friday night I did. That's right. Um, But the um, I used to call it campfire hip hop because a lot of my like the same as you, a lot of my friends weren't into hip hop. They were into grunge and alternative and stuff. And some guy would bring out a guitar and then me and another guy would just always start rhyming next to this guy playing guitar, and then they listened. Yeah, yeah. So there's a certain kind of audience that won't listen to it if it's beats and rhymes, but they'll because fucking the love it if it's a guitar and rhymes. And I think you're tapping into something that um, I've longed, I, like I've hoped for a long time that rappers like yourselves and 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 whoever is like well known. I'm like, when is someone going to do that? And you did it, and you did it so well. Like, I mean, you should be proud of this work. There is there is a organic kind of like, um, I don't know, like a salt of the earth quality to it that that makes me. No, that's and that's what I want to feel like, like. As much as that, it's almost like going back to the studio and go, let me reproduce the song. Well, how do we want to do it? Okay, well, we want to start with guitar because that's how this whole show was based on was me rapping over just acoustic guitars. I didn't want to put any break beats, no drums like there was no drum machines sounds at all like everything you hear in it even when there is a bit of percussion is stomps and hand claps and then you know we'd sample that and trigger it through so it was produced but i did want it to feel like i just came in here with a drum machine guitar player keyboard we just played the whole thing straight through so like i'm hoping that's the vibe people got off of it which is kind of what it seems like it is but yeah no people it was put together it was produced it was a lot of fucking let me redo my vocals i want to feel more chill yeah fuck i don't like the way this guitar sounds take that off let's try a different guitar and but but how does it how does it translate to the live show like because the live show without any was where their shit shines to me like i was happy to get this album out but the whole reason why i did it was because i want this new live show to be something like i just think it's very unique i've never seen i've been to so many hip-hop shows and i've never seen an hour and a half hip-hop show with a guy in his drum machine a guitar player keyboard player and both of those guys with me can sing their ass off. They got very unique voices in their own mind. And then, you know, we're telling stories. We're talking serious stuff. It's it's a very unique show. So I'm excited for people to hear that, see that. Yeah, yeah I am too, man. Like there's a, um, it, you know, what's funny is that you're, you're doing something that is, is, is new in the sense that you're exposing it to a large audience. But 
it kind of feels back. It kind of feels like you're going back full circle to the days where you're in the cafeteria and you're tapping the fingers on the desk in order yeah. to like cipher with your buddies, right? Like it has yeah, that yeah. kind of quality. Stripping to everything it. away and bringing it back just to the core of lyrics and songwriting and. That's I think people are going to do this now. I think you've started. I think you, I mean, they're going to, I'm I hoping I get a couple years in before it starts going, but I already know a couple of artists and I, you know, some known artists that were like, bro, as soon as you get that going, I'm doing that shit next. And I was like, yeah. all right, I gotta, cause I don't think like, I feel this could be even some international shit. Like, you know, I've got my Canadian fan base. I toured Canada. I got comfortable in Canada, but me taking my live show, my typical live show to other countries, probably doesn't stand out as much as something like this going to other countries and be like what is this i've never seen a type of show like this so would it be tough know. to pair you with a another act like you wouldn't do this album with d12 as you no. as you've done before, or royce the five nine right like no no would you go over with like opening up for ed sheeran that's my goal <laughs> yeah that's right you know what i mean but some shit like that that's like oh, there's elements of hip-hop and you know, Ed Sheeran still has elements of beats and hip hop, but it's very acoustic, very stripped down, like his live shows. Mm-hmm. Or like, like I wouldn't even say someone like The Roots, because if we were opening up for The Roots, I'd be going full jam, because they're they're playing full band, they're rocking. Yeah, and it's a very unique angle. But we've been going through this shit even with playlist thing, like how big that is now. This yeah. acoustic hip hop shit doesn't fit on any playlist because it doesn't make sense for acoustic type music because there's a guy rapping in it. And it doesn't make sense for hip hop playlist because it's all acoustic. And that's been my biggest challenge is going, okay, I know I got something unique. How do we get this out to people? But everything is so put in little boxes of, well, this is for these people. This is for these people. This is for these people. It's been a challenge to find out where it fits in that world. Well, your videos uh, help a lot. <clears throat> I don't know if you have the same director for all your videos, but. Yeah, um, my bro- me and my brother shoot all of our videos. My do you guys, brother. listen, like, um, you're not overcomplicating the concept of your videos. And so the video direction style, not that it's stripped down, because that sounds like it's not good, but it, it is, it matches perfectly with the sort of like uh, authenticity of the actual music itself. So it's not too, you know, you're not doing jolt editing and stuff. You're not trying no, to no, like. No, it's feeling. And that's what me and Mike, that's my brother's name. Every time we sit down to play in a video, like I'm cheap. I don't like spending a lot of money. I'm like I'm paying for everything. I want to. Dude, you're a rapper from stuff. Canada. You have to be cheap. <laughs> you got to be smart with it, right? Yeah. But with him, I'm like, we're not gonna make some big fancy lights, big shit. Like I don't want to go that road. I want to make real shit that doesn't look like we had to overdo this shit. We just caught a feeling. You know what I mean? Like catch a vibe, give people that little chill that goes, oh, you know, that's cool. Yeah. And when um, we know we don't have that big budget, massive shit for every video. Once in a while, we'll do it. But 90% of the time we go, let's come, come up with a cool concept that we know when people see this and, and, and hear it with the mu- feel it with the music, it's going to hit them. And that's, that's what we try to do. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. 4Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. 
I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Well, you're, you're doing it. I'm going to play something else here because, um, you know, I'm just, I, I, I know that I, I don't know what la- what label you're under for some reason. I don't know that, but like, I'm Smart pretty label. sure. Oh, okay. So, so if I get dinged on YouTube, it's, I, I, uh, I gotta come yeah, see you. you might buy universal, keep it under 30 seconds and you'll probably be all right. Oh, okay. Well, we'll see how we do with this one. Cause I, I forget what, how long, uh, well, I'll just play it. You know what? I don't make any money from fucking YouTube anyway, so I don't care. Hold on. <laughs> Talk to me when I can't sleep. Pills and blankets are all I need. Scrapes on his hands and a mouth full of cold sores Dirt in the nails, stains on the pants, scars on the wrist Had to get away from mommy and daddy Cause mommy and daddy were hard on the kid He found his shelter in the cold streets Sleeps in a bed made of cardboard Surrounded by half-filled bottles of pills Holes in his arm like a dartboard Zoned out, trying to forget the drugs and the pain that he came from He don't want to remember his childhood Taking everything until the pain's done and he asks for help, bags for food, or change for a quick fix. People walk by with their nose up, get annoyed and go on with their business. But they don't know, they don't know what this kid been through. Ran away from his home at 11 years old because he couldn't take any more abuse. The voice in his head says, Talk to me when I can't sleep. Who is that gentle giant singing? That's my guitar player, the guy that I told you had a very unique voice. His name's Brett yeah. Matthews. We just finished his album. I, I produced his whole album. He's on tour with me. He's amazing, man. Very unique voice, dude. He, it's it's a juxtaposition listening to that voice. Like I'm not saying anything about his look, but he. Like if I saw him, I wouldn't think that that was him singing, right? That's like, that was the biggest thing that that I was just like, man, this is some unique shit. So every time I bring him out on shows, he walks out with his guitar. Everyone thinks he's gonna be like this deep grimy voice and he just yeah. hits the note and starts singing and everyone loses their shit so yeah it's like uh uh who was the uh the on the judgment night soundtrack it's like um who did public enemy play with on the judgment night soundtrack that anvil man nobody knows that soundtrack i we were talking about that shit like a month ago me and a couple <sighs> of my boys because we used to play that all the time most people fun? don't remember that oh uh, dude it was a to me it was a revolutionary soundtrack like Crazy. it was like all these crazy, crazy like uh, bands playing together, the Cypress Hill and uh, Cypress Hill played with uh, Sonic the Youth. Soul joint. Oh yeah, yeah. I I tried. I was gonna do a cover of that like three years ago because I found nobody knew that song, and I was like, man, that's such a, like a chill, feel good song. Fallen wasn't it called? I think Fallen. Yeah, Fallen. Yeah, that's right. Do 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 do. Yeah, that was it. Was it was such a good soundtrack. At this speed. That's right. Oh, love. That's right. You know what? There's a like. It was there was a big gap between um. What was it? Uh, Aerosmith and Run DMC, right? And they did their thing, yeah. and then it was like nothing. 
<clears throat> as far as uh, combining um, uh, Beastie uh, Boys. Yeah, but I mean collabs, right? Like like the collaboration. Oh yeah, Beastie, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Beastie Boys. Came, they came from the punk scene. The Beastie Boys were interesting too because I, I heard Lottie Dottie, then the Beastie Boys like two months later, and I thought mm. that I didn't know that they were white for like years. <laughs> Like three years. Yeah, I remember these guys the first there. song I heard was Brass Monkey. I never liked that song, so I didn't like Beastie Boys for a while. Oh, really? But then I think it was License to Ill came up. License to Ill had Brass Monkey on it. License to Ill was Paul. Paul no, Revere not that one. Good. Then uh, Ill Communication. Yeah, that's right. Ill Communication. Okay. That album is like, oh, okay. I got the Beasties now, so it takes me a while to catch up sometimes. Well, listen, like the Beastie Boys are are you know part of that whole weird uh beginnings of def jam when um you remember the um you're you're a white rapper you should remember the black hole between vanilla ice and eminem and how tough it was to kind of be a, a rapper back then um were you yeah. impact were, were you impacted by that at all or oh yeah i came out before eminem so yeah, yeah. all you had reference was with an ice or like people who knew though they knew like host of pain or third base uh, bone milk bone Milkbone, when he came out, I was feeling Milkbone naughty by nature because he came up with them and I was a naughty by nature fan. But yeah, it was but the regular person like, oh, you rap, oh, you're vanilla ice. That's yeah. all you have reference of. I had, I mean, the cactus album made me feel like, okay, we get we we're we're breaking out of the vanilla ice era, you know. The you know, the MC search is doing his thing, but um I, I just like yeah, to say was that the, the record. Pop the Weasel, Pop the Weasel, was that that album? Yeah, the gas face, remember? Yeah, yeah, the gas. Oh face, shit, that. another gas face victim. But um, and then I did business with MC Search, and he turned out to be kind of a scoundrel. So um, you know, um, he seems like a sketchy dude. I, I've seen some stuff, and I, I don't know, for some reason he always comes off to me like that. I could be completely wrong, and it sucks. No, you're that, not. But. You're not here. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what happened. I don't give a fuck. Um, <clears throat> I was throwing events in Miami, and uh, and we were looking for a sponsor, and he worked for a pink liquor company called Nouveau, and uh, we he uh i was trying to get a sponsor from him and he's like i got good news and i had him on speakerphone at my buddy's house who's also this rapper and he's like and i put him on and i'm like like listen to how scandalous he sounds right so he's like but i wanted the deal so it was like you know entertaining the idea he's like james i hooked you up with a five thousand dollar uh sponsorship way to go blah 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 and then we went to miami and we talked to the nouveau rep and she's like so has search sent you the ten thousand dollar check yet (laughs) yeah that's right um you know it's one of those things but um how, how how did you find the business in um in canada as far as events go because i was looking at your touring schedule here and um there's a couple of spots that i was surprised that i didn't see um toronto being one of them oh for the acoustic tour yeah, yeah, oh, yeah i'll tell you what's up with that so like yeah. if you notice most of the dates we're doing we're not doing like edmonton we're not doing Halifax. We left off the main cities because this is a brand new show. So I was like, let me go out and do like smaller markets, really work the show and figure out what this is before I'm like, let me go to Toronto now. We want to do Massey Hall. So I want to go in there, do mm-hmm. a big show, have a bunch of special guests. But I want to make sure my shit's right first. So I was like, let's go out, do a okay. B market, go do some of these theaters for places that probably never even get hip hop shows, smaller towns. Go yeah. do this thing make sure we know what we're doing and then uh we got the bigger tour coming in 2023 probably spring i think it's what it's going to be so 
Well, listen, I would never be so cocky and tell you how to do your thing. I think you would nail it your first time out. I think people would fucking love it. Like, and I was thinking Matt Yeah, I think it's going to be dope, but I just, I I guess just in my comfort zone, you know what I mean? I've been building my show for 20 years, the show I have now that I go on stage. I don't worry about a thing. I want my show to feel like that with this, where right now I'm still like, man, do I got to drop beats halfway through this shit? Are people going to be sitting there and bored going like, come on, man. Like, no, man. We've only two of the shows and they have been crazy. They went really good and like, there was one guy who's been like five of my shows and he saw the acoustic show and he's like, well, that was my favorite show you ever did. So, you know, yeah. you hear comments like that. It makes you go, okay, we'll, we'll figure this out quickly. Hopefully is the audience like, I mean, the audience are Gen Xers probably right. I would imagine, or at least old millennials. Uh, what what is something? a Gen Xer? What, what age group is a Gen Xer anyway? I believe a Gen Xer is people born between the uh, 1974 and 84. I could be wrong about that. Maybe someone in the chat can Google that for me because, um, but it's something like that. I'd say you the know? average old age for this show will be, yeah, between like 30 and 40. But we will yeah. get older people, like, because it's an earlier show and fans that are 35 will be like, Dad, I want to take you to the show, or Mom, I want to take you to the show. It's different and, you know, it's not going to be loud. You can sit down. It's, and at the same time, I think people are going to be bringing their kids, 35 year olds, 40 year olds, and be like, Yo, I want you to see this guy. I grew up on this or I knew this. And, and that's kind of the messages I'm already getting from people. It's like, bro, I'm bringing my kid. She's never been to a hip hop show. And I'm like, well, this ain't a typical hip hop show, but. Yeah. Well, fuck. You know, I hope they like how, it. How things change, eh? Yeah, like, man. That's what I mean. People bringing their kids and their, and their parents out. But that's, that's what's so dope about it, man. I don't want to go on at a club when I'm 55 years old and being like, okay, let me get on the tour bus and let's go on at 1130 and everyone's fucking 20 years old drunk. And yeah. I'm trying to rock out. Like, I'll still have my fun doing that, but. With this new style thing, man, I could be like 65 years old, roll up with the cane, sit down in the chair, hit the drum machine, and, and it's not corny. Like, I'm not trying to be this old version of me from 20 years ago. Yeah, it's yeah. like I evolved, and this is where I'm at now. Let's let's get down like this. No, I love the idea of a 65-year-old classified playing Massey Hall. I, I, I love that idea. Bro, I, I fucking I wish, man. I, I hope to God I can be 65 years old and doing that type of shit. I'd be happy with that. Yeah, man. Uh, well, you look, you still look young, dude. Like you, f- I feel like you haven't aged, you know, like, you, you know, like I look at you back then and now, and it's like, it's the same. No, nah, the fucking, it's fucking getting worse. It's just, it's all falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you can blame your kids, right? For that, can't you? <laughs> exactly, man. How many kids you got? Three. Three now? Three daughters. Oh, Jesus, Kobe. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. well, I stay home, man. I don't. I don't tour too much because I don't want no daddy, da- daddy daughter issues. And yeah, yeah, yeah. What if, I'm pretty what if, involved I, in my kid's life. I don't, I don't have your uh, lyrics for Growing Pains memorized, but there's something about, um, you know, it's not that I don't trust you. It's just that I don't trust the people that you party with, right? Mm-hmm. That you will party with. Yeah. How old are your girls now? 14, 12, and 8. Yeah. God, you're going to be a dad. My oldest, like my oldest just started grade, started grade 9 today. Oh, really? Like high school. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Take another on that. Like, there's so many people with beards at this school. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, it's Nova Scotia. You know, they all look like your guitarist in grade ten, don't they? <laughs> Doesn't every white guy look like that nowadays? I don't Big know. Beard. Probably. I I only grew a beard because some chick was like, you know, you look good in a beard, and then then and then some other girl was like, you should shave your beard. I feel off. like so everybody now... grew beards in the last five years. I don't find there's too many, couple baby faces, but most people are going. 
don't know if it's COVID thing or what, but in, in my defense, um, I'm Italian and I had chest hair when I was 11, so I didn't really oh, have fuck. a choice of growing beards and stuff. You had like the opposite just... problem. Me, I'm still trying to get facial hair, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we just can't win, but <laughs> that's true. Um, listen, buddy, uh, I'm, I'm gonna let you go. Uh, I know you're probably busy, uh, and uh, oh, you know. Good. Okay, let's stay for longer then, because I do actually want to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, talk a bit. Um, <clears throat> what I wanted to ask you though is, uh, touring in the states. Um, how, first of all, when you worked with like DJ Premier and stuff, or when you did stuff together, did tracks together, were you able to hook link with him in person when you went to the states and did any shows or anything? No way. Uh, I went to Kino, not with Primo, but I get to link with like. Man, I got one story. I went to New York the day the plane crashed in New York. Sully, the whole Sully thing happened. Oh, wow. Yeah, like we landed in New York, went to the hotel, was all over the thing. Anyway, Kino, Royce59's manager, took me out through New York and, and introduced me to like MOP. Um, who else was in the studio that day? Showbiz. Just a bunch of these classic like New, New York artists. Joe Budden, we went over to his spot and stuff. So I, I've been through New York a few times and met people and Primo I met actually when he was in Halifax but when we did the song it was just over the phone we were talking on the phone kind of throwing ideas back and forth like that yeah he's like he, he's it's interesting how um cats like Primo KRS one used to do this a lot too where they would work with like people that weren't known really that well in the states um in Canada and in Europe and places like that and at first, there was some cynicism that people would give their feedback. They're like, oh, they're just trying to make dimes on people. And on the one hand, I was like, so what? But on the other hand, I was like, I don't know. Like, I think um, I heard Primo when he, when he was working with Shiloh, um, uh, another cat out of uh, out of Toronto. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And um, and I remember like seeing him on interviews and stuff. And he was talking about how and, and this is really kind of interesting, the way that he was describing uh, the way that Canadian hip hop artists are so respectful of the culture itself that he was like, it reminds me of the nineties, you know, like who like, said uh, that Primo said that. Yeah. Like, no, I can see yeah. that, man. He's, he's pretty like, I thanked him for, he posted about Pat's day the other day and I sent him a message like, man, thanks for that. Yeah. And he was like, no problem, man. He was a dope MC. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's, he yeah. still just lives for those moments of like he lives that music the culture and when someone's good at me and he tells that they take it serious and they're good at the art form like he appreciates that i remember when i reached out to do the song with him i knew his manager actually it was through kino again royce five nines manager introduced me and primo kind of knew of me he didn't know my shit good but he he told me he's like man i hit up uh who did he say marco polo and and moss you remember moss yeah i do produced a few years ago yeah and he asked them about me and they, you know, showed me love and they're like, Oh yeah, he's legit. And Primo called. He's like, man, I'm doing this because those are my guys. And they, they, they said, you're the legit thing. You know what I mean? Gave me some love. And you know, when you hear that shit from Primo, man, like just the fact that I'm even talking on the phone with Primo, like for me, kid yeah. from Nova Scotia, that gangster moment of truth was like one of my oh. favorite albums of all time. Yeah. Like Mine I was daily operation, but yeah. See, yeah. I wasn't, I like, I knew the joints, but I wasn't like, but moment of truth, that shit lived in my headphones for years. And like, I could go every word on that. And, and, you know, just be talking on Primo and him sending some cut ideas and me be like, man, can you take, I want to send you this track of my voice. Can you cut this in? He's like, yeah, yeah, for sure. And yeah, like, those, those are the moments that make this shit all, you know? Yeah. 
that is Snoop shit, hanging out with Snoop and making the track with Snoop. Like, oh. I was 15 listening to doggy style, and you know what I mean? Did, did think you smoke I a joint with you? Because that would have been a crime, yes. I think, at the time. Bro, that's, that was bucket list right there. That was number one bucket list in hip-hop. <laughs> you know, smoke a joint with Snoop Dogg, and I got to do it, man, so... You know what's you know what's really dope about hip hop is that like um I told Shad this. I'm like there's guys that like play basketball religiously every day. They play street ball. And they're not NBA players, right? The, but they do it for the love of it. <clears throat> and and I'm one of those like I'm a 46-year-old guy who still writes and rhymes every day. And I I've never really cared about anything other than just doing it for fun. And I yep. love it, right? Um, I got friends but- who do the same shit, man. A lot of them. Yeah, and and it's what's interesting is that you have you have stories that I I can't match and I don't want to. I I I love listening to. I get giddy listening to guys like you talk about sitting with legends. It makes me proud of you, right? Like it doesn't make me jealous, right? Which is interesting because a lot of rappers get jealous of that shit. Um, but it's interesting how uh, unknown cats like me still have some like stories that are that are similar to yours, but. For me, it's so special because when I went to Pepper Jacks in Hamilton in like 2005 or six, and I watched Karis one play, and I left early, like like during the encores, and I went out back to find the white SUV, and I was like, oh, there it is. And I just guessed that it was his car, and it was. <laughs> and he came walking up. And we we ciphered for like 10 minutes. And I, and I let, I fucking cried. I like I left. I was like, I gave him a pound. I left. I went to walk to like, I don't know where I, I think I was walking to a cab stand or a bus stop or something. I can't remember. But while I was walking, I literally got choked up and started crying because I was like, I just fucking ciphered like I'm a totally unknown guy. He didn't have to do that. And he gave me props. And I'm just never going to have a happier moment than I just had. And and you can't do that if you're a, a rock and roll guy or um, you know, a punk rock guy, you can't just stop the sex pistols in the street and jam with them. And yeah. I think I love hip hop. You also so much. won't get many people that will do that. You know, like KRS is top yeah. tier, has been around for fucking ever, but it was the same shit. I met him in Toronto one time. I didn't freestyle with him, but he was sitting Oh, I didn't freestyle. I just want to let everyone know that it wasn't a freestyle, it was written. Yeah, spit a re- written, spit a written. Yeah, yeah. But. That's what's dope about KRS, though, because he just loves that shit. Most artists won't sit there and freestyle with you. I'm not going to sit there and freestyle with you. It's like, come on, man. I'm trying to go get a subway or something. But, you know, maybe after a show with my boys and stuff like that, hell yeah, we'll do it. We'll all crack jokes and we do it. Yeah, yeah. But that's, yeah, man. Those are moments, man. Those guys are like superheroes to us. For me, like growing up, KRS, one, like all that stuff was like larger than life and when you start being around it and they're actually cool and you actually go, Oh fuck, it's the real deal. They're not, you know, I'm, I've met a couple bad ones too, but it's we, most of them are good. So when you meet them and they're, and they're respectful and you know, they hold yeah, up. I, I haven't good. met too many. I haven't met too many of uh famous. I met, uh, I met guru when, <clears throat> when guru put out, um, when they put out moment of truth actually, and they were at much music and they, you don't remember much music used to do that thing where they used to like, uh, they used to bring people in that were doing shows in Toronto to do like two tracks or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and after the show, after after they were done and and we were off air, still inside much music, everyone bum rushed Primo, and literally not, nobody not gave a fuck that Guru was even standing there. And I was just like, oh shit! So I fucking walked towards Guru, and uh, I'm like, hey man, he's like, he's like, hey how are, dude? The guy was so nice. I was like. 
I talked to him about Jazzmatazz because I knew that like like fucking hip hop heads didn't really feel that album, right? Like they when it first came out. Um, I know a lot of rappers that were like he phoned it in, you know, like like the the lyrics. And I just thought he was just trying to do something totally different. And I respected the 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 game behind it and the idea behind it. And we talked about that for like twenty minutes. And I was like, thank you for your time. And I'll never forget this. He's like, don't thank me for my time, man. It's your time too, you know. And like. You know, and and yeah. this is like this was my hero. I I I, call, I was such a fucking gangstar fan, that and a Nick fan at the same time. That when um, Rep grows bigger, when I heard that song, I I called the Nick's office to ask them if I could get connected to their <laughs> to the MSG production office to complain that they didn't put Rep grows bigger on like a compilation of highlights before the next next game. <laughs> yeah, that's hardcore. That's my hardcore. Backpack, my backpack was on so tight. Like, I still have tendonitis. Well, I used to. I called. You remember when Karis One started doing the hip hop edgement? What was it called? The hip hop? It was in like the 90s. The uh, he had edutainment was the album, but then the hip hop academy or something like something the, like that. He was going to universities doing speeches and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, he had that banner that he put behind the stage at shows that showed like all of the different personalities in hip hop and how they're ambassadors and all that kind of stuff. No, yeah, I don't know. He was starting a course or some shit, but I pretended I was from like the Dalhousie University of Halifax. I called his management, like, yo, I want to get this interview about the hip hop. And my whole plan was as soon as he got us on the phone, I'm just going to freestyle. I'm going to kill it. And he's gonna be, you know what I mean? I never got through. It never happened. But just one of those dumb things. You come up with ideas to be like, man, I can, how can I make this connection? Yeah. Um, were you, uh, this is, this will be kind of a left, out of left field question. Um, I remember waking up one time and thinking to myself why did i care about east coast west coast like for the for a year i had been hating on west coast and i didn't know why where was did you get impacted by that at all or were you just kind of like this is fucking stupid i did i paid attention to it like because it was everywhere like if you mm -hmm. followed hip-hop but i didn't care like i wasn't only listening to east coast or only listening to west coast it was I was listening to West Side Connection, and I was listening to fucking CNN, and I was listening to Boot Camp Click. And, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't care where it was from. And even when I came up, like, I was the same shit. I was listening to East Coast, West Coast. Took me a while to get into so. Actually, I shouldn't say that. Like, Goody Mob, Ocast, early, like, all that stuff. That's PA, still PA. best piano sample. Um, even I think it's better than Dre's, uh, that, that Goody Mob sample. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. Um, that was actually one of the tr one of the instrumentals uh, that people used to play at battles in uh, in clubs in the in, in the when it, when it first came out, <clears throat> it like rivaled the Mob Deep beat, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, that was a big one. Everyone was jamming to that. Um, right, so, yeah. so what is your what is your um, what is your plan for after you do this acoustic album? Are you going to like go back to what? You got another album half done. I already got a. I got a project with my brother called the Hardy Boyds. My brother who shoots my videos, he also raps. Oh, right. So we're doing an album called the Hardy Boyds. Our last name's Boyds, B-O-Y-D-S. Yeah. Um, where it's just some rap shit, a bunch of boom bap. Just after doing acoustic, it's like, I want to make beats with drums and big breaks. And so we got like four songs done with that, where it's just like on some rap shit, just some straight rap. And then I got another half of an album with four songs done. Where it's me just man talking what's been going on the last two years over like some soulful beats like drums and shit like not acoustic, so I'm doing an album called Classified meets the Hardy Boys. 
It's going to be half solo shit, half Hardy Boyd shit. Is the Hardy Boyd's album going to solve the mystery of mumble rap? No, no. <laughs> There's going to be some mystery solving, though. But no, we're just fit, man. We're having fun. We got one song called The World's Greatest Tag Team, where we're just going back and forth. Talking oh. shit, but everything references old WWF tag teams and WWE tag teams. And oh, nice. Just like fun concepts that's like, let's just get in the studio, roll some weed, bounce off each other. Like, we're good at coming off. And I think that's kind of the thing that makes this thing stand out. So, bouncing and cool flow. The cost is a regular viewer. He's like, horn samples, classic horn samples. Um, it first, always reminds The first me. one is a horn sample. The very oh. first one we made is a big horn sample. It reminds yeah. me, who does it remind me of? Uh, not chub rock it's the chub rock they used to use the horn samples all the time grand um, Puba. that's who it is that's who i'm thinking of. Rock. um i heard you say on another interview when we, you were talking about the pandemic um and i'd like to i'd like to end this interview talking about that a little bit because i uh, i i said this i think to shad and i said this to eric alper who's like a pretty famous uh music pr guy yeah about I how i feel he dude he's like he's the he? nostalgia i don't even know why guy. i follow him on twitter i just always see him on right. twitter yeah what's who is he what does he do he's a music pr guy um who he's been managing bands for like two three decades uh do you remember oh. grossman's tavern in toronto on no. spadina um his grandfather owned that place and and they had like legendary blues guys like from like the 60s to now like anybody who was a famous blues player went through Grossman's Tavern. It was like, so is the, he Canadian? Eric? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's Canadian. Oh, okay, I didn't know. That. Um, and he's, uh, you know, and but he's, he's he specializes in nostalgia. That's why you follow. That's why I follow him. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. That's you know, what he's he, always posting, like old school stats and stuff. Yeah, totally. And and when I was talking to him, I, I asked Shad the same thing, or I told Shad that I this is what I thought. I think we're entering and i would put your album in this even though you came six months before the pandemic just because uh you're about to go on tour we are kind of post-covid eh, sort of and i feel like covid created a renaissance uh, that we're just entering now of fucking amazing music and i just kind of I'm, I'm i ask everyone the same question of how they feel about that and what you think i don't know I found like, I don't know, for me, like the first two months of COVID, I found like I wasn't trying to make music at all. I just kind of turned off and was like, let's just wait this out, see how long this lasts. Um, but then like halfway through it, just kind of being even just, to be honest, like feeling like depressed for the first time in my life. I never got depression or anxiety and shit like that. And then I realized it was because I wasn't making music. I wasn't just coming out here making beats, doing this and that. And once I started doing that again, that's when I kind of got really into it. And it was like, you know, it just made me realize how important it was to make music. And I think a lot of artists are, are even adjusting to that with like, a lot of people are canceling tours now, you know, they, they've been off for two years. They're like, all right, we can go on tour. And then they can't do it because they've been home for two years. They've been living a different style that, of life that they're not used to, especially people who've been touring for a long time. And I don't know where I'm going with my answer right now. I'm kind of dragging <laughs> it's way okay. off. But, it's okay. Uh, it's good weed. I can smell I it. Said something. Yeah. That's what I'm saying, right? Come on. <laughs> I just, I literally took like an edible uh, just before I started the podcast. It hasn't kicked in yet because I ate just beforehand. But, um, you know, I, 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 I broke my own rule 
uh, today by doing that. I wish I was sometimes on the side of the microphone that you're on so I could get stoned and, and talk to somebody, but like it makes me feel really disorganized. Um, yeah, no, I feel you. I feel you. Do you get high before shows? Yeah. It doesn't make you too uh, nervous or anything, eh? No, no. I'll, I'll usually smoke like a half hour before. Half an hour, 15 minutes. But I'll be honest, the acoustic shows, two hours before. I've only <laughs> did a couple of them, but I was like, there's nothing covering up. Like, if I fuck up on stage with a beat going, I can mumble a couple words and just start freestyling, and Mike, my background guy, will hit me, and I'm back on. But on this acoustic stuff, if I mess up anything, it's just clear as day. It's awkward. Yeah. It's like, e shit. Oh, fuck. And it's dead silent. Like, there's no... You can hear a pin drop, so... For that, I'm trying to, yeah, two hours is what I'm working with right now. Is there, is there, have you ever, like, have you ever asked someone to give you an honest answer as to whether or not there is a difference between uh, performing while high and performing while sober? Because as a guy who's wrapped high and sober, I always thought that I sounded so much better high. And there were, most people are like, no, there's not really much of a difference at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, I've. I'll be honest. We've only ever did one show where we didn't smoke, and it was South, South by Southwest. We just landed. We had to go do our show. We had nothing. The whole band, we're all weed smokers. We were all just just flew there, so we're all in a shitty mood. We were like, let's just go on stage, do this, and we did the best show ever. Like we, like our lines were just connected. Like you know, the talk in between the songs, everything was so sharp. We're like, fuck, man. But I don't know, man. We like, especially for those type of shows, like the club shows. We like. Most people that are at that club are having some drinks. They're smoking. They're doing whatever they're doing. Yeah. I like to go in there with that. Like, we're here. We're doing what you guys are doing, too. And, you know, we're going to have a smoke or two. We're going to have a couple drinks. But, yeah, we'll see how the acoustic thing goes. Um, one of the questions that I ask every rapper, um, every single rapper, <laughs> is what their definition of a freestyle is. Because I'm a very angry 46-year-old man who... Um, oh, freestyle is supposed to be off the top of the head. See? Thank you. Me is but it's slowly changed and whatever. No, 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 you had it. Right. <laughs> that was the answer. No, because no. I felt like I, my, I have a theory. My theory is that actually Kenny Parker kind of straightened me out on this a little bit because he was like every rap almost when that you, you ever Kenny Parker, Are you talking about yeah. Karis One? I'm what? talking about <laughs> Karis One's brother. That's your good buddy, Kenny. You're good. You're, you're, you're on a Kenny name to name. <laughs> Yeah, we are actually. <laughs> right now, Kenny. Right now, Kenny is uh, is attempting to get KRS One to come on Blackballed, so that and literally, this is the idea. He's going to come on Blackball with with his brother KRS, so that two siblings that are kind of legends in hip hop. Um, I will argue. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll argue about hip hop for an hour, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, but he kind of straightened me out. He was like, "Listen, all the rapping that was ever done." in like the late seventies and early eighties, pretty much was just a guy freestyling on stage. He's like, somebody came up with throw your hands in the air and wave them like, you just don't care. And never got paid. Yeah. Yeah. You don't stop. Uh, right? like, that watching the show documentary. Remember that from like the mid nineties vaguely the show. It was all them guys. It was like a bunch of old school guys. And they were all together talking about this, like, who came up with the SS show? I was like, that's me. It's like, no one, he's never got paid for anything. It was used in like, what, a million songs? That documentary has the yes, yes, y'all guy? Fuck. Yeah, no, but it's like Grandmaster Flash. Like, it's all guys you would know. I just don't want to fuck up some people's names. Like, yeah, yeah. Kid Creole. I think it was him that came up with the yes, yes, y'all. 
Oh my god, they should put a like fucking they, that guy needs a plaque or something, you know? Like he came up with yes, yes, yo. Like I, I did did you ever do any of that stuff? Did you ever do this and shit at shows? Like, do you still do that? Like like I don't I decide. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Certain, certain, certain times I will. Maybe that's why I never made it as a rapper, because I think I'm a pretty good rapper, but I don't have any kind of stage presence that I would ever feel comfortable waving my hand from side to side, right? Like, yeah, I, you got you got to feel comfortable, man. If you don't feel comfortable, don't do it. But to me, that's part of the show. Like, I go to a lot of shows and watch people rap, and I fucking not saying nothing about your show, but I'm saying I've gone. To I don't so have many a show. Shows. <laughs> well, you know the old days, but I'm saying I went to a lot of shows where guys just go up, spit their verse, dope verse, but fuck man you see a guy that goes up there that does a show can spit but then is also like into the crowd paying attention to what's going on in the crowd not treating every crowd the same if you're playing 50 people that are you know chilling yeah. rather than 10,000 people that are rocking like you treat it different and i don't know shit like that makes a big difference to me no so listen I, I, like one of the things i respect about people like you um and i never had this right like I, I you know this is why i'm like a hobbyist right like because i never had the even the idea of trying to play an arena seems so fucking stupid to me with me on the stage because i don't have that inside me I, in fact you talk about massey hall massey hall was the example of the place that I always dreamed of playing at because people were sitting and I didn't have yeah, to yeah. move them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel yeah. Yeah. You need an acoustic and, show, man. That's what you need, then. Well, listen, I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want to, like, make it seem yeah. like I was, like, trying to say shit. But, like, I did teach myself how to play guitar and rhyme in, like, 2001. And it was because oh, of... Yeah. It was because of chaos. It was because of yeah, Heaven yeah. Only Knows. As soon as I heard that song, it was another one of those moments where I was just, like, like... I've had so many, like, times in my life where I've been, like... I wish I managed Eminem after he did that uh, track with Elton John at the Grammys or whatever that was, because I was like, oh, Eminem should do like a Santana tip and just do a complete album where he's collabing with people like Yo-Yo Ma and like all these fucking artists that are have nothing to do with hip hop. And when mm. when when Chaos did uh, Heaven Only Knows, I, I was like, I think he needs to just stay like that. Because Chaos is a guy that like, um, and I got this confirmed years later, but I used to always think that that guy had stage fright. I, I never really thought that his live show was indicative of the quality of music that he put out on his albums. And that's just yeah. the way I feel about it, right? Like, and, and you know, uh, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this, but the, but the idea, but I have so much respect for the performer. I have so much respect for cats like you, for Nigel from the Pocket Toilets when they were doing their thing. It's just so much energy. Yeah, yeah. Um, the yeah, delivery they, they a good show man I, i've seen a couple of the shows yeah man like they were you know were you did you like tour with did they did like universal put all the white rappers together like were you like touring with like buck 65 and kiprios and shit at one time or was it like you know not quite that obvious that they wanted no. to labels never to put together my tours it was always me that put not me but a booking agent at one point but in the early days that was me just starting out going make connections across the country and then like 2000 and 10 maybe it was that's when i signed with like snl feldman which is like a big booking agent yeah. yeah you know took me a lot of understanding why i had to do that at that point and you know fought my manager for a while i didn't understand why we were giving away this percentage couldn't do any shows on my own anymore without paying them but it doing was the, the fucking frosh tours and shit all the time Still yeah yeah they'd hook up that shit but that yeah. shit is those things are killing man those are fun as hell man 
I'm not dissing the, the frost tours. It was just funny because when you went to college and you're like, bare naked ladies again. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I haven't done a frosh one in a while, but like five, ten years ago, frosh was like, you know what I mean? So the venues time. that you're doing for this tour, and then I, I actually do have to let you go because my uh, there's another show starting in uh, three minutes ago. Um, but the, uh, mm. the 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 venues that you chose for this tour are they all sit down venues? And yeah. are you do you film everything that you do? Because I, I again I feel like you're doing it smarter than that. Like when I suggested before that you could do Massey Hall, I still believe you could, but if you'll probably make more coin this way, the way that you're doing it now, because I think that the, whatever footage you pick up from this and whatever you and your brother do, when you weave your magic in the video process, people are going to fucking love it. They're going to love this combination. And, and, you know, and I, I'm really kind of, you know, excited for you, but what was the, what was the selection of venue? Like, like, what did you, did you have to, take venues that normally don't be that, that normally are not sit down venues and convert them or are they all sort of like the miniature massey hall kind of things miniature massey hall basically that's what i wanted like 300 to 500 people all sit down probably a theater just because it's good to go but a couple of the cities it is like venues that they put chairs in and stuff mm -hmm. um or like cabaret style we did one like that where it was like 300 people but they're all tables they're all drinking having a sip of wine whatever it is and yeah it's just a different vibe but i like so the I just, um I, I don't want you to take this idea because it's the only competent way i would ever be able to like record myself rhyming but like a, a tour of campfires you know from city from, it's like, funny because we have province. our stage set up we have our stage set up for these tours yeah. and we were going over like different ideas like originally we were just going to keep it super chill just sitting on stools some basic yeah. light like don't make it don't make it big but then i was like i want to feel like a living room or like a campfire so we were going to try to set up the stage like it was like you know logs we're sitting in the oh. campfire vibe but it was it just it's difficult for the lighting too you know not even the that. campfire it just became, thing i wanted to worry about the show first before we built this big stage setup or whatever yeah. but what we're doing is bringing like basically my living room so we're bringing like uh. a coach plant shit like that it's supposed to feel like we're just chilling in the living room doing a couple songs that's the vibe and just shooting the shit with each other oh that's dope you can even store the drum machine under the couch and have whoever just like slide Poor it out, out. yeah, that'd oh, be yeah. Dope. you know keyboard player just laying back on the couch with the keyboard yeah. yeah pretend to find joints between the cushions and shit yeah yeah, yeah that's the well, one listen. thing about the can't do can't yeah. smoke in the theaters that's the one thing difference with these acoustic shows rather than the the late night bar shows but Get Dave Chappelle to leave them a message and you'll get a fucking pass, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'll work on some. Classified. Listen, man, um, uh, thank you so much for joining. And uh, and again, um, the whole Pat's Day thing, I hope uh, I hope you and your friends are able to find um, some sort of like way to, to navigate those waters in a way that doesn't, um, you know, that doesn't, you know, diminish any type of, you know, vibe that you have going on right now. The dude was such a monster. Um, I'm... I'm uh, you know, he left a lot behind and, uh, and, and yeah, my condolences once again, um, for losing a like that, man, that's classified everybody. Thanks again, buddy. We appreciate it. Thanks guys. Have a good one. Um, yeah, that was dope. Uh, he's, he's one of the, one of them, probably the hardest working guy, uh, in hip hop, uh, in, in a way that, uh, sort of captures longevity, quality of work, body of work, all that kind of stuff. 
So um, I, I thank him very much for joining me today. I am a little bit late getting off. I'd like to apologize to Paul, who's coming on next, I believe. And we will see, actually, I'm going to have to load this video. So I'm going to say stuff just to drag it on a little bit. And then I'm going to hit you with the intro as soon as I find it on my desktop. And this is what it's like when you don't have a producer. Um, big ups to Classified. Thank you, everybody, in the comments. I see who you are. I love you all. And we'll see you next time on Blackballed, which will be tomorrow when Caitlin Erickson will join us. Caitlin Erickson is part of the class action lawsuit against a Saskatchewan Christian Academy uh, who have been leveled with allegations of uh, sexual abuse. So it's not the Plymouth Brethren stuff, but I've been getting a lot of calls lately um, from people that uh, are in other religious dominations, denominations that want to come on the show. And I guess um, my role in life, uh, one of them will be to dismantle uh, several religions piece by piece so i'm quite excited about this we'll see you next time though on black ball thanks everybody black The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Hi, I'm Mercedes Nickel, four-time Winter Olympian and host of Dropping In, a podcast with Mercedes. This is a podcast where I interview a bunch of different people. I get the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as I share my stories along the way. Now you can drop in at droppingin.com or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. I'll see you soon.